empowering fathers, fighting for their rights, providing services to support them when they were in crisis. This was an area that needed a lot more attention and could use professional organizations. Myself and some, some friends and colleagues set out to found what became the Canadian Centre for Men and Families, which we've been running now for the last 10 years. Zero is the number of support services for fathers and children. There's virtually a void across Canada of any kind of support. Let's agree, we need to do a better job for men and boys. We operate a shelter which has supported over 140 men. They're not just being hurt, but they're being threatened of continued physical violence from their spouses. Their children are witnessing the violence. Children are witnessing domestic violence. That's considered a form of domestic violence. It's about creating new supports to families that have so long suffered in silence and just being a part of that solution. Dads are stepping up. They want to step up. And the government is doing everything it can to make it harder when it should be empowering those dads as much as it can. There are so many programs for mothers, maybe not enough, but there's literally zero for fathers. That's a tragedy. It doesn't have to be that way. You're a man living in the modern world in a time when men and manhood are not what they once were. You live life on your own terms. You're self-sufficient. You think for yourself and you march to the beat of your own drum. When life knocks you down, you get back up because in your gut, you know that's what men do. You're a badass and a warrior. And on the days when you forget, we are here to remind you who you really are. Welcome to Sovereign Man Podcast, where we aim to make men masculine again. I'm your man, Nikki Ballou. We have a very special guest today, Justin Trottier, Executive Director of the Center for Men and Families, is one of the men that are fighting the good fight for men and for their kids out there. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks for having me on, Nikki. Good to see you. Good to see you too, brother. So Justin, how'd you get involved in the work that you do? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, you know, unlike a lot of the men that I provide support to, I don't personally have um, experience directly with uh, family court issues or separation, divorce, high conflict, family breakup, anything like that. But I had witnessed it um, among friends and family. And my background was in kind of nonprofit organizing and running events and getting people aware about critical, you know, social justice issues and um, family health related issues. So I thought this was an area that needed a lot more attention. Um, and could use uh, basically professional organizations, empowering fathers, fighting for their rights, providing services to support them when they were in crisis. And I thought I had kind of the mix of the right skill and the right, you know, passion and interest to make something new happen. And myself and some some friends and colleagues uh, set out to found what became the Canadian Center for Men and Families, which we've been running now for the last 10 years. Well, there was definitely a need for it because I remember that when I met you, you said something to me, which was quite startling, that there are something like 4,500 uh, shelters for women uh, out there. And there was one for men in the whole of Canada. Yes. And that was startling to me. Absolutely yep. startling. And another thing that you brought to my attention was that um, people talked about you know, spousal abuse and the assumptions always been that it's the men abusing the women, but you brought to my attention that the statistics say it's virtually even. And that was startling to me. And the imbalance between the two 
um, was something that you stepped into the breach to address. And why do you believe the imbalance has been so startling? Yeah. And, you know, people like to debate those statistics. Um, We've looked at Statistics Canada figures that go back the last 20 years. And on average, um, the numbers are very similar with respect to men and women who report self-report as being victims of family violence or domestic partner abuse. Um, Now, there's obviously a lot of debate about is the violence against men the same as the violence against women? Is it as severe? And I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that. I'm not a scholar. More more severe, probably more severe, but anyways, let's, let's. The other half of that though, that never gets talked about is the one you clued in on, which is the lack of support though. You know, so whatever that statistic on victimization is, what nobody seems to debate is there's virtually nothing for men. So they are victims. If it's 50, 50 or something less than that, it's, it's certainly much more than zero, but zero is the number of of shelters until we came along. Zero is the number of support services for fathers and children. There's virtually a void across Canada of any kind of support. And so I always say, let's kind of park the debate about exactly what those victimization numbers are. Let's agree we need to do a better job for men and boys because we're starting from scratch. And so right now we're working with um, actually a number of other organizations, including some women's organizations in this space. Um, Some of them have become much more kind of progressive when it comes to men and boys. Some of them, some of these women's shelters are actually now admitting men and boys because they recognize the problem and we want to be a part of a collaborative solution. So we've opened a shelter. So it's the first one in Canada of its kind in Toronto. We're actually now doing a fundraiser to make these a, a national network of similar facilities. We want to open them up all across the country eventually. Well, um, I'm glad that you're doing the work that you're doing, but I just want to say this. And look, I love women, adore women. I think any man that hits a woman's a piece of shit shouldn't do it. There really is no reason for it, no excuse for it. Men are on aggregate physically stronger than women. There's no no debating that, no dispute about that. But I can also tell you that, you know, women, when they get mad, um, they get mad. And they don't just hit you physically with their fists. They grab objects. And they throw them and they use objects to try to bludgeon or cut uh, men with them. And I've never hit a woman in my life. Uh, three times I've had women uh, attack me. <laughs> and listen, I handled it. It was all good. Nothing happened. But in each case, it was with a heavy object <laughs> um, yeah. that was intended to hurt because she was angry in the moment. You know, yeah. so... For people to say that this is uh, something that, oh, it's okay, it's just a girl hitting a guy, it's not a big deal, he's not really hurt, that's not necessarily true. Yeah, it's, it, we, people... we, we operate a shelter. We operate a shelter which has supported over 140 men, some single men, some fathers and children, who are with us be- because they're not just being hurt, but they're being threatened of continued physical violence from their spouses. It's not always only physical, it can be a combination of things. But absolutely, they are physically endangered by a female partner. And I know it's shocking to a lot of people, but we we have to get past that kind of knee jerk, you know, I think very much prejudiced response, because the the scholarship is very clear that this does happen to a significant number of men making up a significant fraction of all family violence incidents. They're sent to the hospital. That's why we get referrals from the hospital for these men. You know, they're they're calling the police because they're afraid. And that's why we get referrals from the police. 
So we wouldn't be getting referrals from police, hospitals, victim service agencies if these men weren't out there and desperately needing support, not just for men, but not just for themselves, but often they're coming with their children because their children are witnessing the violence. And children witnessing domestic violence, that's considered a form of domestic violence against those children. And in some cases, the children themselves are also direct recipients of abuse and violence that doesn't get acknowledged because it's a mother rather than a father who's subjecting them to it. So it's it's a real phenomenon. We're trying to be proactive and collaborative in how we deal with it. It's not about blaming, but it's about creating new supports to families that have so long suffered in silence and just being a part of that solution. Yeah. And, you know, I'm glad you say it's not about blaming because I'm not into blaming uh, either. Um, I, uh, I don't know that I agree witnessing something is, 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 is abuse the way like being physically subjected to it is abuse. But anyways, we can, we can quibble about that. But, but what I think you're doing that's so important, Justin, is you're filling a void, you're filling a need. Um, and we're living in a time where men's issues period are, are just getting short shrift. Um, and the government is, um, definitely not pro-man. Let's just leave it at that, right? They're definitely not showing a lot of support uh, for men out there in the world. And it's important that uh, groups like yours exist, that a shelter exists for men that are physically being uh, hurt. I mean, in the entire country that there's one is ridiculous. You know, yeah, 4,500 for women. I'm not saying that number should be cut down, but it needs to be way higher than one for men. Uh, And secondly, I think that folks like you exist to provide, um, you know, advice, guidance to men that are going through divorce, that are going through family breakup. Super, super important. Super important. Father's rights need to be acknowledged. Men's rights need to be acknowledged out in the world. And, you know, folks like you are out there fighting the good fight, doing their darndest to make sure that men's voices are being acknowledged in the public square because the government and the culture and the society are demonstrably anti-man. And well, the, the most important, the most important sort of national project for us is enshrining uh, a rebuttable presumption of equal shared parenting into the law, which is not the law of the land right now. Right now there's too much uh, just discretion in the hands of judges, judges who are often trained um, to see the world in a certain way who often have a very outdated, like 1950s understanding of gender roles when it comes to family dynamic. Um, We need to take it out of their hands and make it a rebuttable presumption of equal shared parenting in the case of separation or divorce. Um, Many jurisdictions in in the world are going in this direction, including a number of states in the US, but Canada is lagging behind. So we're strongly pushing on that. Um, And just to what you were saying about the federal government being anti-men, I mean, unfortunately, it's true. I wish it wasn't. Right now, in the Income Tax Act, it literally says that females are presumed to be the primary caregiver, the primary parent. It's the female presumption. It's literally in the Income Tax Act. What that means is that income subsidies, like the Canada Child Benefit, which is provided to low-income families, the government is cutting checks to the female head of household. No questions asked. If there's a woman living in that house, these child subsidies are going to her, and that's written into our legislation. That's got to change. So that's a big problem as well. Um, There's a lot of issues that affect especially low-income fathers and children um, that we're fighting for these vulnerable father-led families in a way that no other organization even really has it on their radar, unfortunately. I'm a supporter of families 
And I think the way that the law uh, has been changed over the last several years to make it easier for people to get a divorce, to not encourage people to do everything to try to keep the family together is a huge mistake as well. Um, we're not talking about you know situations where there's you know massive violence in people's lives are threatened. Okay? I'm talking in general. I think our society needs to be more pro-family. The family is the main unit uh, for a healthy functioning society. And we are uh, way too quick as a society to say, oh, you're pissed at each other, get a divorce. Oh, you're pissed at each other, get a divorce, without understanding the ramifications of that, especially on children. And the statistics are clear. Children that come from two-parent households versus children that come from non-two-parent households, they do a lot better. They do better in school. They uh, do better in future relationships. They end up making more money. They're much less likely to go to jail or become teenage teenage pregnancy uh, statistics or to do drugs or any of that stuff. And it's, it's my opinion that all of this is the government's fault as well. The government needs to get out of the business of saying divorce is good and needs to get back into the business of saying, look, we want to try to keep families together as much as possible in most situations with exceptions, exceptions like the ones we've, we've talked about. But the government isn't doing that. And it is anti-man in so many respects, it's not even funny. I mean, the ones that you're talking about are, are, are just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. And in fact, in a way, kind of promoting a cycle of dependency on uh, for women, right? So when women get separated and divorced, the government is stepping in and providing all kinds of ways in which they're going to continue to access money from the, 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 the man who was just divorced to continue to support the woman rather than empowering her to say, enter the job market or to go back to the job, to go back to work after, after say pregnancy, for example, we have to break these cycles of dependence, if not on a on an individual than on a, than on a government. Those don't really help anybody. Um, and in the long run, they don't, these don't help women either. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of ways our policies are not in really anybody's best interest, except maybe they help governments continue to be reelected. And maybe we need to start looking at the, the incentives that are at work in terms of grasping and hanging on to power rather than actually in the best interest of all members of a, of a given family. Yeah. Yeah, first and foremost, I think everybody should turn over every stone to stay together. If if that's been done and you can't stay together, then uh, the whole separation uh, of families needs to be more equitable in every sense. And the, the tragedy is, is that if you do have necessity for a family to break up, so many families involve a, a loving, um, engaged father. But the way the family court system works is it's inherently anti, anti-fathers and it makes yes. it harder for that father to stay involved in his child's life because it takes a suspicious view of a father who wants to be a stay-at-home dad or wants to be a 50-50 co-parenting father. Family court's much more interested in getting as much money out of that man than getting as much of his engagement with his children. So what a tragedy that, as you just said, Nikki, the scholarship shows children do better with involved dads. Here we have dads who are desperate to stay involved are stepping up like never before. Single father families are the fastest growing family form in Canada. Dads are more engaged than they've they've ever been in 50 years, but the system (laughs) won't allow it. The system does everything it can to make it harder, not easier for that father to maintain his involvement. Um, Even going so far as to saying that he's not the primary parent in terms of the way the government's legislation 
picks and chooses which of the parents are the primary and which are the, I guess, secondary, based solely on gender. That is no way to empower fathers to continue stepping up for their for their children. So that's the tragedy: is dads that dads are stepping up. They want to step up, and the government is doing everything it can to make it harder when it should be empowering those dads as much as it can. What do you think we can do to help men be better at keeping their family together as a first step? Because I really think that's also been lost with men. Far too many men are also too eager, too ready to throw in the towel yeah. uh, in this day and age than ever before. Yeah, I, I, I agree think with that's you. a tragedy. Yeah. No, I, I'm generally on the same page as you. Like, I think as much as we can minimize the occurrences of separation and divorce, um, we should try to do that. I, they, I'm not saying they should be legal or anything like that. No, of course not. But oh. we should make it we should make it easier for people to stay together rather than easier for them to, to break up. Right. And How part of that, that is teaching healthy relationships when 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 people are young, when they're like teenagers or maybe when they're even younger than that. Like, here's what to look for in a healthy relationship. Here's how to be a healthy, you know, partner yourself. And here's the qualities you should look for in, in your, your, uh, in your, your partner. Um, that would mean that relationships were healthier to begin with. Maybe they'd then be more like less likely to break up. Um, then we should have counseling, family counseling that supports families that are going through crisis. You know, that's one of the things we at the center for men and families try to do, but there's just not enough services in that particular area. And then when you do have the tragedy of a family breakdown, you should be empowering both the mother and the father to stay as involved and engaged as you can. It makes no sense to me that there aren't fathering programs all over Canada to keep dads engaged with their kids in the context of family breakup. Why are we the only ones really providing that? Actually, we're not the only ones. There are other programs, but they all presume the dad is an abusive, basically a bad father. They're all programs that blame fathers for being abusive. Yeah, blame, dad. blame the man first. And I mean, look, there are abusive fathers, but that's the only program that the government's that any agencies were providing until we came along. The only fathering programs were ones that presumed fathers were basically bad, abusive men. Why aren't there fathering programs that just are there for good, decent men who want to stay engaged and want to step up and do even better for their kids? Why do they have to like pretend to be abusive in order to get access to these services? It's it's completely perverse. And like I said, the tragedy is the dads want to step up. Just look at the statistics. Dads are stepping up. They should be met halfway by some limited amount of government investment in social programs for these dads. There are so many programs for mothers, maybe not enough, but there's literally zero for fathers. That's a tragedy. It doesn't have to be that way. No. No, I mean, you're talking about relationship skills being taught to teenagers. I think that's smart. But how do you think that that needs to happen? Is that going to happen through organizations like yours, making it available to people? Is that going to happen by schools? How should it be happening in your view? Yeah, I mean, I, I know schools have their issues, but I think that is the best way of getting it en masse, you know, available to to every youngster. Um, organizations like ours have a very limited footprint, um, obviously, compared to the, the, the public and private school systems. They can capture just about every, every young person. Um, so I think that should be built into the, into the schooling. But I think it should be done in a, in a non-biased way. Like a lot of the, I've looked at some of the programs that are being taught in, in schools that do healthy relationships. And it's basically built around gender stereotypes. That the that the that the young men are all would be 
you know, domestic violence perpetrators, even in the dating context. Um, and by the way, the statistics show that among dating couples, again, domestic violence, just as high among female perpetrators as male perpetrators. So that's how it should be taught as that anybody's a possible victim and anybody's a possible perpetrator. And we're going to teach everybody how to enter a relationship, you know, with the best possibility of, of building a healthy one. It shouldn't be gendered really in any way. Um, and so long as it isn't, so long as it's provided in that fair and neutral way, then I think the schools do have a role to play uh, because we do want to hit people when they're, when they're young. That's, that's the most important way I think to um, enshrine the, the principles of healthy relationships before you know, children grow up and and start forming, you know, whether it's friendships or, or romantic relationships. Yeah. You know, the schools have done such a crappy job of, uh, of so many things that even though I agree with you, they're the ones who have the biggest level of access to young people. Yeah. I hesitate to give them the power to do this. And I, I definitely don't think this should be done in a, um, in a female centric uh, you know, a feminazi fashion because the, the feminazi movement is anti-man and is doing their darndest to uh, put the assumption of any debate that men are bad and there's something wrong with them at the center of it. And I don't want that to be the basis on which relationship skills are taught to people. I think you need to teach, you need to teach young men and women how, you need to teach a man how to be a good man. You need to teach a, a a woman how to be a good woman and this includes how to treat each other one of the things uh that i i mean i take a number of courses you you know steve richmond he's uh, somebody that uh, we both had dealings with he um has been providing uh some coaching to men and some programs to men and i, I took one of his programs uh and in that program he talked about how do you make your your woman as a man feel taken care of and, you know, that's something that I'm in my 50s right now, I'm 56. That's something that I'd heard intellectually and said, yes, 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 this is a good idea. But it, it took me till the age of 56 to really understand, oh, yeah, that's my job in a relationship. Make her feel well taken care of and cared for. And if I do that, then it's much less likely that we're going to fight. So I took on what he taught me. I started to do that in my relationship. The number of incidents of, of arguments between me and my lady went from, you know, one or two a week to zero, to zero, absolutely zero. And I just thought to myself, damn, you know, if I'd have learned this when I was 16, I'd probably still be married. I, would, I wouldn't have gotten divorced, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and to me, these are the sorts of things that need to be taught to people, but they can't be taught by ideologues, by wokesters, by by, you know, far left anti-man uh, ideologues, because those folks don't give a damn about making it easier for families to stay together and for men and women to have good relationships. They want to push a particular narrative. Yeah. I, I would only opinion. push back and say, you know, I think I, I'm not comfortable using terms like feminazi because I've seen a lot of good people who use the feminist label. And and I and I, w I wish that these well, we could get past the labels, because I think that very often they get in the way. Um, so I, I don't know that, you know, feminazi is a helpful label. I, I, I think it's, it's better to, as I like to do, describe that some people are ideological about feminism or about men's rights activism. And I think the ideologies, you know, we sometimes don't get beyond that. 
each of us in a stake on ideological space and we never meet in the you know ourselves in the one another in the middle where there's a lot of common ground so that's where i'm, I'm trying to build some common ground between people who I use one label that. and use the other label um because i have seen some good work being done i mentioned earlier like there are some so-called feminist or women's organizations that are literally opening their doors to men and boys. And I don't want to alienate them. Like I want to bring them in because I think that's, that's terrific. Oh, that. And on the men's right side, there's also, you know, people who are legitimately looking to simply assert that men have human rights like women do. And there's nothing wrong with that, but they're also ideologues on that end too. And I think they, they can do us a disservice. So yeah, but to, to your larger point about the schools, I want to just return to that. I, I, I was clear, like, it has to be done in a way that is not being set up as as pushing any kind of agenda. It's got to be about the skill sets of a healthy relationship. And it shouldn't. And if it can't be done that way, the schools are not the right place to do it at all. But it's not only the schools. I think, you know, obviously parents are the primary educator of their kids. So parents need to be doing a good job of that as well. Organizations like ours, sort of the nonprofit sector, has a role to play. It's got to be coordinated also. So I'm not sure whose job it is to coordinate all of that. I don't think the government's done a very good job of coordinating much of anything, frankly, in the they social service. So <laughs> they're probably the, the worst culprit. Um, so I, there, there are no easy answers. But I, I, my primary theme, though, is, is that we need to prevent people from creating unhealthy relationships that end up, some of them, becoming even abusive and violent. If we don't do this as a preventative measure, then we're basically just putting band-aids on big gaping wounds, right? Well, on that, we agree. Like I said, I uh, I don't expect all my guests to agree with everything I say, and I certainly don't agree with everything my guests say. But um, <laughs> my own take on, on, the, uh, on the feminist movement is uh, first-wave feminism. I could get behind some of the things they said. Third-wave feminism today... I think they're a bunch of Nazis. They're fascists. They have no interest in doing anything with uh, positive with the relationship with men. They want to put men down. If you're having a good relationship with some organizations that call themselves feminists, more power to you. I think that's great. Unfortunately, uh, my experience in 2023 leading into 2024 is that the vast, overwhelming majority of the people who use that label are using it in a way to uh, basically put men down. It is... Uh, out and out misandry against men. So I'm very comfortable calling them feminazis in my case, but I understand that yeah, you're not. I, I was quibbling on the label. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that there aren't radical ideologues within that movement. There absolutely are. Um, and yeah. we have faced a, an uphill battle trying to crack into certain sectors where women's organizations explicitly into their bylaws, they describe themselves as feminist organizations, so I'm not labeling them, they label themselves, have said, we will not allow you to join our coalition or our our our, uh, our group. And some of these are basically groups that speak for like the domestic violence sector. So they're sort of coalitions. You join as a member organization. They will not let you in if you're not a feminist organization or a women-serving organization. And yet they have, they control basically the funding for the entire domestic violence sector. And they're basically gatekeepers. And they're saying, we will not, we are putting a gate here. We are not letting in any men or boys serving organizations. Damn the statistics, damn the fact that men are suffering. But by the way, damn the fact that girls are suffering at the hands of abusive mothers, because we made that point to them too. No interest in any of that. We, we're protecting our, our identities. We're protecting basically our funding. And we know that it's threatened if men and boys organizations are given any kind of toehold into this sector. It's an extremely craven 
and self-centered, ideologically driven approach that is not in the best interests of women or men. So I'm with you that there are hate organizations. I'll even go so far as to say that. There are. That's why I call them feminazis. You know, I, I, do I think all organizations, do I think all people who call themselves feminists are, are that? No. But unfortunately, the, the ones that seem to be at the forefront of the, the cultural battles today, that's what they are. And I appreciate that you don't want to use that label, but that does, that's not going to stop me from using it. <laughs> so, um, but cu- coming, coming back to this, you're, you're fighting the good fight. I think what you're doing is super important. Uh, I support what you're doing. I want to see your organization be successful. I want to see a uh, hundred organizations like yours take root in Canada and uh, in the Western world because it's badly needed. Uh, fathers and uh, their families are hurting and you're one of the few people that's fighting the fight, man. You know, so kudos you. to you for that. I appreciate, I appreciate that very much, Nikki. And um, we need, uh, we need your voice. We need we need more kind of independent media channels uh, speaking about this because we talked a lot about the problems with the government and the school system. We didn't talk as much about the media, but the mainstream media is maybe the, the, the worst of the worst. They are just incompetent and and generally lazy. You know, I can't tell you how many stories are written in the mainstream media about domestic violence. And inevitably, there's always that boilerplate at the bottom that 80 percent of victims are women. And here's the number for like the assaulted women's helpline. No number for the assaulted men's helpline. Well, I guess there isn't one, but there is the Center for Men and Families were never mentioned. And the 80-20 statistics is is very lazy reporting. Those are numbers basically generated by the police based on how police choose to investigate domestic violence. They apply a filter. They don't really look at cases of male victimization in the same way as female victimization. Not surprisingly, the statistics, you know, bear that out. The statistics, yes. Canada statistics, 50-50, are never mentioned by these reporters. So every time there's a news article that is sloppy and lazy, it is reinforcing a, a um, inaccurate portrayal of this issue. And people are suffering as a result of that directly. So the media is just as much to blame for this cycle of misreporting and then misallocation of resources and the tragedies, frankly, that result from that. There's a lot well, of work to do. I um, happen to know some folks that are involved in this uh, podcasting world that will uh, be good for you to know about and get on their shows. Um, I also am connected to Rebel News. I, I know David Menzies, who's the chief correspondent for Rebel News quite well. They're the largest alternative uh, media organization in uh, Canada, and they've got a footprint in the U.S. and Australia uh, as well. So I'm happy to make some introductions and connections on your behalf to help you get the word out in a bigger way. I think uh, you need your own podcast. Frankly, you need to start talking about these issues and put them out there yourself and get yourself a social media team that'll help you slice and dice everything you do and put it on all the various social media channels because it's 2023, man, almost 2024. And that's how people are going to find you. And that's how you're going to get around. And we do have a podcast, um, Perspectives on Men. It's fairly yeah. new. Um, there's a lot of work that's needed to grow that, but um, that is our um, that is our Good. platform to try to get more awareness through our okay. own channel. Right. Because, you know, obviously it's small potatoes what we what our channel is compared to the mainstream media, but they're not interested at all. And we've done everything we possibly can. I mean, we opened Canada's first shelter for abused men. There's been virtually no interest in covering that. That is obviously newsworthy. It just intrinsically is newsworthy, but it tells it a is. story so at odds with the prevailing narrative. 
that even though it's newsy and you think, then wouldn't the news cover it? No, because they're not in the business of really telling the news. They're in the business of comforting their listeners and readers with just more of the same. So it can't rock well, the boat. They're, they're, but, but you see, the good news is that they're starting to lose uh, viewership and listenership in droves. So they, they're keeping people my age and older, but they're losing all the young people. The young people yeah. are listening to alternative voices. So you need to go find uh, you know access to people like Rebel News and interest them in the kinds of things you're doing. David Menzies would be interested in listening to what you have to say. I guarantee you he would. I think so with Rebel, and there's other alternative Canadian voices that are out there as well. Um, you got to find your allies, man, and they're out there and they're growing. Uh, it, it's uh, it, it's crazy, but um, for example, a single Joe Rogan episode uh, attracts more listeners and viewers than all the cable news shows combined for a whole week. A single episode. If you think about that, now he's the biggest guy there is, but you know, you you have uh, Tucker Carlson on on X, and his shows uh, garner millions of views, and then you've got folks who have smaller shows, but they're still garnering thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred thousand views, which right. is more than most of the mainstream outlets are doing. So the mainstream media may not be paying attention to you, but they're becoming more and more irrelevant because fewer and fewer people trust them. So you're doing your own podcast, that's good. Keep doing that. Slice and dice all your stuff. Put tons of clips out there. I think that's important. Find yeah. other shows to go on. I'll help you with that, man. You need a strategy to go out there and be a guest on a bunch of shows yourself. And uh, you need to find uh, you know, allies in places like Rebel News. Rebel News is huge. They're a very, very big organization. So you get yourself some attention from them on an ongoing basis. That could be pretty useful for you. Yeah. Thanks, Vicky. I appreciate the advice. Yeah, you bet, man. You bet. So, um, Justin, if someone's interested in finding out more and contributing, getting involved, what's the best way? Yeah, our website, meninfamilies.org. Um, we're always happy to take, uh, well, obviously, donations and memberships are, are what keep us going, but volunteers are just as important, too. And if anybody is listening to this and is in crisis, then uh, we're also in the business of providing uh, essential support. So don't uh, hesitate to reach out to us today. And if anyone's listening to this and you got your own show, podcast, reach out to Justin too. I'm sure he'd be happy to come on your show and, your pleasure, and spread yes. the message. <laughs> All right. Justin, great to have you on the show, man. Uh, uh, you know, you're fighting the good fight and uh, it's, uh, it's always good to uh, have a chance to uh, share some ideas with you. Yeah. Thanks, Vicky. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Man Podcast. If you're ready to take charge of your life and become the man you've always wanted to be, we invite you to join the movement at SovereignMan.ca.